Hello, and welcome to another episode of Downtime with Cranston Public Library. This is a podcast for cool people who love libraries, where we talk about what we've been reading, what we've been watching, and what we've been loving. Taylor is away this week. I'm your guest host, Dave, coordinator of adult services at the Central Library, and my pronouns are he, him. Hello, my name is Sharon Hartley. I am the new director of development for Providence Animal Rescue League, and my pronouns are she, her. Hi, I'm Rebecca. I am the executive director at Providence Animal Rescue League, and my pronouns are she, her. Hi, everybody. My name is Diana Morrison-White, and I am the author of the book For the Love of Buddy, and my pronouns are also she, her. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. And Diana didn't let on, but Buddy is a cat. And Rebecca and Sharon are both here from the Providence Animal Rescue League. And later on in the show, we're going to talk about our favorite rescue cats and the mission of Parl and um, Diana's book for the love of Buddy. But before we get to that, let's start out with what have you been reading lately? Well, I have not um, read a really good book lately, but um, our assistant of development, Eve, has just recommended a book. Uh, that I'm interested in reading called Rescuing Penny Jane, uh, which is uh, by Amy Sutherland. And she is a journalist who actually adopted uh, Penny Jane. um, And she's out of Boston. And that began her journey with um, animal welfare and and having a strong interest in it, um, which led her to starting, uh, she started volunteering and walking dogs at a, a Boston animal shelter. And um, it really sparked her interest. And as a journalist, she began, um, you know, talking to people way up in the animal welfare industry, um, which led to this book. So um, I haven't read it yet, but I am certainly going to read it soon because I find it very interesting. Fantastic. And a local story, too. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So I, gosh, you know, I... I don't really read a lot. Um, I listen a lot. I do a lot of audiobook listening. Um, definitely have a, a, a pretty strong subscription to Audible going. I find it to be sort of my form of self-care, like driving home from work, driving in in the morning, doing mm-hmm. chores around the house. Um, so right now I'm like halfway through. So take this with a grain of salt because I haven't finished the book yet, right? So it could turn out to be like, not the best, um, but I'm really enjoying it. It's pretty um, comedic and kind of outlandish. Uh, it's called Finley Donovan is Killing It um, by L. L. Cosimano, C-O-S-I-M-A-N-O. Um, it's kind of fun. It's a yeah. single mom who just kind of uh, got herself into a, a bit of a situation um, by one of those kind of comedy of errors type plots um, mm. that's a little bit crazy and... Um, not endorsing any of it, but uh, it is it, it's it's good. It's a good chuckle, and sometimes in the in the line of work, uh, animal sheltering and feeding a lot of animals and having days of um, a lot of emotional ups and downs. Mm. I just need to kind of escape. So that's what I really love about uh, listening to something because I can't always find the time. I sit down to try to read a book at night and fall asleep, but I like still consuming all the content that's out there. Yeah, and. Um... This is a, a library worker plug is that reading audiobooks is also reading, triggers all the same spots in your brain. And so, you know, if you're listening to audiobooks, you're reading a book. Um, it's exactly the same. So totally counts. Good. I'm glad uh, to hear it because I used to be a really reading. avid reader. Yeah. <laughs> so, I still am. But yeah, it yeah, just doesn't absolutely. quite feel the same sometimes. You can't put, you can't look, look at all the books on the bookshelf, but I yeah. can see that like I've, you know, read 
listened to 100 books last year kind of thing. So Right. That's awesome. I, I jump all around in genre, but that's where I'm at right now. And, and uh, we'll see what happens. Pretty good so far. Excellent. So I recently read a book called um, Sale, and it's actually a children's book, but the theme of the book really could apply to anybody. And I bought this book about a year ago, and I gave it to a friend as a gift to read to his kids because I just thought it was such a nice book. But of course, I read it before I gave it to him because it's a children's book. So it took me all of, you know, eight minutes. Um, But it just has such a nice message about... um, you know, that's good for adults, too, about kind of um, persevering when, you know, the water gets choppy and, um, you know, to just keep your sails heading straight. And and the illustrations are absolutely beautiful. Um, The author is Dorian Browers, B-R-O-U-W-E-R-S. And uh, so I believe she's the illustrator as well. Uh, But anyways, just really, really nice illustrations and lovely shades of blue and green and very relaxing. So that is one book. And then I just bought a book. I haven't read it yet. um, And it's called Real Americans by Jared Goldstein. And it's National Identity, Violence and the Constitution. So that interest for me there is from my first two books. Yeah. And um, what I didn't realize, though, when I grabbed it, is that he is actually the Associate Dean for Academic Affairs and a professor of law at Roger Williams. So he's local. Oh, right down the street. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I didn't realize that. So, yeah. So after I read it, I'm going to reach out to him, I think, maybe, and just say hello. So jumping off of um, children's books, I recently got a book called Endlessly Ever After. That's by Laurel Snyder and Dan Santat. It's sort of a fractured fairy tales that is kind of a pick the path through the book. So you start on the first page, your little red riding hood and your mom is telling you to go to visit your grandmother because she's sick and you're given the choice. Are you going to choose your favorite red cape? Or are you going to pick your warm fur coat? And it's a it's a beautifully illustrated book. Dan Santat is amazing. And the whole thing is written in verse, and it works just really, 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 really well. And I must have read it at least 12 times, picking different paths through with my kids, and it never got old. And then it actually turns out, and I don't want to spoil it in case you read it, but there's a surprise hidden inside the book if you read in a certain path. Um, that I really wasn't expecting and was very satisfying. So Laurel Snyder um, did a fantastic job putting that one together and, you know, can definitely suggest that book. And yeah, children's books for adults. That's also reading and also fantastic. That's exciting. I'm going to, I'm going to look that up. I have a six-year-old son. That sounds like a book that's right up his alley. Um, I had one other, um, when you were talking about children's books, I thought, oh, I did just read a really great children's book. Uh, Sharon and I were actually invited. Um, I cannot think of the name of the local, uh, school, but we went as part of their reading week, um, and were a guest reader for a classroom at a Providence, um, elementary school. And I read to a group of fourth and fifth graders, and I really just chose from like a stack of books that they had. And I ended up loving it so much that I went home and ordered it. Awesome. And I, it was along the same lines. It was called um, What Do You Do With a Chance um, by Kobe Yamada. Uh, and it was just beautiful. It was very, it reminds me of what you were saying, Dave, of um, just and beautiful illustrations, but also uh, talking a little bit. Actually, it sounds familiar, like the one that Diana was talking about. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of this, this big adult concept really broken down into a sort of a more whimsical 
um, beautiful illustration. And yeah, as I was reading it, I was thinking, gosh, I think I, every adult I know could get something from this book. Um, so I was just a, a happy accident to stumble yeah. upon that. But children's books are so great in that way. Absolutely. All right. So um, if there's no other books to share, why don't we move on and um, talk about some of the things we've been watching or listening to lately? Well, I, I, I don't watch a lot of TV, but um, of course, I jumped on the bandwagon of the 1883 and the Yellowstone, um, which everyone was watching. And it was fascinating <laughs> to, to see the journey, uh, you know, from from Texas to Montana, the Dutton family, what they went through. Um, it, it was one of those things, you know, I sat down and I had to binge watch because it was it was really good. <laughs> And it sounds historical, right? So, you know, you're getting, you know, you're getting that learning experience along with it. Yeah. The generations of families and how they, how they settled and how the the Dutton family settled in Montana and started their ranch. And then up to modern day, um, what the Dutton family is up to in Montana. It's really good. Fascinating. How about you, Rebecca? Anything? Oh, gosh. Yeah. I, um, hasn't have any of you watched uh the circle on netflix this like social experiment oh, yes. show my spouse was watching that yeah <laughs> it's one of those where i thought okay maybe i'll watch an episode or two and then like a season or two later and i find it so fascinating because it really it ends up sort of feeling like a like a social commentary like you're almost really breaking apart and putting like all of these very strict boundaries um around social media interaction so for people who aren't familiar with it just take a group of people and each person lives in a apartment all by themselves um and they can interact with the other people playing the game only through social media computers and TV. So they can like direct message each other and they can create a profile and then they continually try to win the game by being the most popular person, but they can be themselves. They can put on a persona and everybody who's interacting with them essentially knows that they might be lying and that they're all trying to be manipulative and play this game, but they still say things like, Oh, I, that person just seems so genuine or, Oh, I just really think this person's so honest with what they're saying. And uh, I just really find it fascinating because uh, so much of how we interact these days is online and through emails and not really like being in person with one another and how that can really affect um how people bring their own perceptions or what they want to see or think or feel to the table. So that's kind of one thing that um, I, I went through pretty quickly on a sick day a couple weeks ago. Um, but otherwise I've just, I like, I like watching a lot of old, old stuff, old, old, um, like Gilmore girls, reruns, friends, reruns. I've, I'm very like comfort food in that way. Yeah. The circle, I thought it was really interesting and people can, like they'll pretend to be somebody completely different than who they are. And, you know, just to kind of see, you know, like this one person be like, Oh yeah, I'm playing that person. What I tended to think about though, was they'll, they'll talk to, you know, circle, right. The social, social network there as if they're talking to Siri, but you know, a hundred percent that there's a like production assistant somewhere that's typing you know, like the things that they're saying and, you know, it, it, it wears that contrivance so plainly that it's almost, that's part of it. And so it was, you definitely sucked me in too. Yeah. Yeah. And there, there's something that 
always startled me too about it's like it takes the it takes like the weaponization out in a way because everybody it's like fair game and so everybody knows everybody could be doing that but then at the end it's all revealed and they all come together for, to like yeah. eat a meal and they're all just like so congratulatory of each other and I don't it's just very fascinating yeah. I, don't, I don't know what it says about us but you're right like you know that it's more fabricated even than like what you're watching but it's very fascinating yeah I've been watching something completely different so on HBO Max there's a series called Minx and the premise is that a there's a woman who's trying to publish a magazine in the 1970s that's a very like pro-feminist, um, almost militant feminist magazine, and she keeps getting turned down by publishers, but is accepted by um, someone who publishes uh, porn magazines essentially. And so the way she's having to almost sell out her vision for this magazine that ends up having like naked men in it, and it's all the things you might expect from an HBO Max series. Um, but it's very, very funny and, uh, you know, I think really well acted. I, I, as a librarian who works with things like periodicals and watching magazines one after the other go digital only and leave our library shelves, watching a TV show that's talking about, oh, yeah, we're going to make millions of dollars from this magazine and we're going to have all these sales. And so kind of like looking back at the heyday of um, periodicals has been really, really fun professionally. Um and it's also, it's a, a very funny show, just filled with a lot of really, really interesting characters. And it is more than, more, more than just kind of the, the, the body things, I think. Sometimes I feel like HBO series can fall into a trap where it's like they have to be this level of lewd threshold almost. And then like once they've reached that, it doesn't really matter what else is happening in there. But I really think they've created a very good story that almost justifies some of the inappropriateness. Uh, so definitely for adults, but... Uh, a really good show I've been enjoying. Hmm. That show was actually recommended to me recently by someone else. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to watch that. Uh, sounds good. It does. Yeah. If you don't have a problem with like a, a naked human body, that happens a lot, but. Yeah, you're right though. That's, that's very HBO, right? Yes. Um, yeah. I think it was one episode of Game of Thrones that I was kind of like, it's so obvious how little narrative purpose there is for what's happening on the screen. And it just kind of made me lose interest in the series completely. So I was like, eh. It's just gratuitous, and I'm not, you know, I'm not watching TV for gratuitous. Um, but I do think that Minx brought a little more to it. Hmm. And we'll return to the show after a quick break. An online archive featuring keyword searchable local historical newspapers, including the Cranston Herald, is now available online to Cranston Public Library cardholders. The archive includes documents from 1885 to 1977. Additional newspaper archives from 1977 to 2016 are available separately from inside the library only. This archive is brought to you by Advantage Preservation and funded by the Champlin Foundation. Visit cranstonlibrary.org databases to find out more. books but don't want to leave your house? Borrow ebooks and audiobooks to read on your phone or tablet using the Libby app by Overdrive. You can even send and read your borrowed ebooks to your Kindle e-reader, US only. It's easy and free to get started for new users and a streamlined experience for current Overdrive app users. To learn more, visit cranstonlibrary.org or overdrive.com/apps/libby. 
So I want to make sure we have enough time to talk about, um, Diana, your book, and I want to talk about the uh, Providence Animal Rescue League. So, um, Diana, let's first talk to you about uh, your book, For the Love of Buddy. Who was Buddy? Buddy was my partner in crime, my partner in life for almost 17 years. And uh, it's it's amazing that um, he was just the greatest, most handsome uh, golden tabby. And uh, I had him since the day he was born because I had his mom. And uh, he just, uh, when I pick up all of the kittens, he purred the loudest. So I knew I had to keep him. And uh, he just, uh, you know, I think I counted how many different places that we lived through the years. It was something crazy, like, I don't know, 12, 15 different places. Um, he had asthma. He had diabetes. Um, we moved from the East Coast to the West Coast. And uh, we drove um, and so it's just he was on all of my adventures with me. And he was just had this personality that was bigger than life and this purr that was so loud that you could hear it two rooms away. And um, so when I had to have him put down, which, of course, is the saddest thing, uh, I took the day off from work and I went to the beach and I took a pad and a pen with me, hoping I could think of something to make me smile. And. I just started writing and this poem just like came out of like mm. faster than I could write, you know, and I kind of felt like he was sitting next to me and, uh, and <laughs> that was, gosh, I mean, it's been over 20 years. So it's, it's been a long time and it, it took me a long time to, to decide that I was, you know, going to finally find an illustrator and write and turn the poem into a book, which I don't know that I think it's just a children's book because I think that, uh, families can appreciate it too. And especially because I'm, I'm sure most of us that have had pets for any amount of time have to go through that really difficult, difficult day. And um, so, but he was just a great cat and he was just, the, I miss him yeah. still. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so talk a little bit about the, I guess the process of, turning your poem into the book you know how did that how did that creative um because it's illustrated like you said um how did that creatively take shape with an illustrator and become uh, become the book that it is now well um i had actually reached out to this illustrator back in 2008 and so when i decided i was going to turn it into a book I went out online and, you know, lo and behold, he was, you know, he still had a website. And as it turns out, I had picked out, he's kind of like a aggregator. So he was kind of the middleman because there he has, he does illustrations himself, but he also has like, I don't know, 19 or 20 other illustrators that he works with. And so I had picked out the style that I liked and then kind of had to write out a description how I thought each verse of the poem, how I wanted it to look, um, you know, and how I wanted the cat, Buddy, to look. And, sure. of course, I sent pictures of the cat, of him. And um, so that's how it got started. So he sent the description of how I wanted each verse to look to the illustrator, and then we started working on um, – you know, how Buddy would look. And so there just started to be a lot of, you know, various illustrations going back and forth and back and forth. And um, it took 
oh gosh, it took almost seven months. So it, you know, it was a learning process for me because I am certainly not an illustrator. I cannot draw much of anything, um, but I can write. So, but it was interesting seeing the whole thing come together. Yeah, that's awesome. And um, so one of the things that impressed me and as you were, you know, as I was checking out your book is that a portion of every sale goes to supporting homeless animals um, in the area. And I assume that's a partnership that you have with the Providence Animal Rescue League. So how did you all kind of connect and get involved? Well, I live in Providence and I have been a friend of Carl's for a while now and they do great work. And, um, you know, there are so many shelters that I'd like to help, but, you know, realistically, I want to start with one. And so um, that's how I kind of got to know Rebecca and more recently Sharon. And so a portion of the proceeds of every book that I sell will initially go to help Carl. Wonderful. And so um, Rebecca and Sharon, do you want to talk a little bit about um, the work that you do and um, Carl's mission in the community? Sure. Yeah. I mean, Diana, we were, as you know, we were so excited to to partner on this. I love that um, the story of Buddy really mirrors um, and celebrates that human animal connection, which is really what Parl's all about. We really want to try to keep pets and people together as much as possible. Um, we're always here in, in the event that it's not a, a good match or a good fit or, you know, um, both person and pet aren't thriving together, but in a lot of situations, um, people just need a little bit of help in order to stay together with their beloved pet. And that's what I love about the book. Um, so yeah, I mean, here at Parl, we we're an animal shelter. We take in dogs, cats, and small animals and find them new homes. Uh, but again, that other piece of our work is, is helping pets sort of avoid coming into our shelter in the first place. So trying to, um, support uh, pet parents in the community with a pet food pantry, vaccine clinics, spay and neuter clinic, um, some, you know, any help or advice that we can give. We try to send home our animals in a, uh, with that support, knowing that they can give us a call if they need some help down the line um, with behavior advice or things like that. Um, so yeah, it was definitely a good match and a good fit. And as you can imagine during the pandemic, we are, seeing uh, a, a huge increase in demand for those kinds of programs that help people keep their pets, even in financial hardship. Yeah, I was so happy to meet Diana. And, and, and you know, it was wonderful to hear that she chose um, Providence Animal Rescue League to be the, you know, uh, recipient of, of some of the proceeds from her book. Um, and I read the book myself, and it was wonderful. And, and it was, the illustrations are beautiful as well. So, um yeah, we, we were very happy to uh, to have met Diana. It's been great. Thank you, Diana. Absolutely. I'm lo- looking forward to it. Yeah, we recently were at a um, the uh, Flatbread Pizza in Providence, did a little fundraiser for us, a supper club, if you will. And Diana was there with her book. And it was during um, April Vacation Week. Lots of little children would come up, but they'd pick up the book. And there was one set of siblings. It was a, it was a brother and two little little sisters. And they sat and read the whole book right in front of us and just started engaging in conversation. It's actually wonderful. They were, they were the cutest kids. Yes, they were adorable. But they loved her book too. So 
my son loved the book also. And it, and it was, um, you know, we, we had to say goodbye to our sweet Chihuahua, um, who I had had for uh, a decade. Um, I didn't have him since he was born, man, don't I wish I did, but he was actually, um, he was found, uh, as a stray in Puerto Rico, kind of in a rundown bus stop and, uh, was rescued by a really great rescue group and brought up to a shelter in Massachusetts that I was working at at the time. But, you know, my son went through that, that loss and trying to help him, you know, process that, uh, definitely, you know, this book does that in such a a really um, tactful way. I, I just love the way that you kind of walk everyone through really celebrating and honoring um, all of the great moments and adventures that you have um, with, oh, with the pet. Yeah. That's what it's about. You know, that's what we have. That's what we carry on is, is all those memories. Yeah. yeah. And it's really the way it happened. So, um, you know, it's a true story. Yeah. Pets are with us through so much, you know, I, I did, I kind of did the math in my head. Okay. My, my dog was with me through how many States, how many moves, how many houses, how many apartments, you know, yeah. relationships and there's like all of it. And, and again, that's, that is the root of what, you know, Providence Animal Rescue League wants to honor and preserve and support. And I know we've got um, an 18 year old senior cat. We're just kind of in that same boat where, you know, she's doing fine. She's, you know, she'll come and snuggle with you and she's on some kidney food. And we're hoping that, you know, her twilight years are nice and comfortable. She's got a nice couch to sit on and a, a quick trip to her food and litter box, right? Like, but she's been with us, yes. And so, um, my spouse and I lived in Ohio and we've, you know, been all over the place. And those, those journeys they take with us, you know, they're very much a part of the family, those pets that stay with us. So... Again, like I just to echo basically what everyone else is saying here, Diana, you know, to honor that place and to give a story that kind of pays homage to that is really, really wonderful. Thank you. I appreciate that. Absolutely. So if there's anyone else listening, uh, Rebecca and Sharon, that would want to get involved with Parl or help out in any way, what are some of the opportunities that you might have available um, for folks to get involved? Yeah, we have lots of opportunities here, volunteer opportunities. Uh, we have a great volunteer program here. We also have um, many ways that they can support Providence Animal Rescue League. We have lots of different funds that benefit the animals here. Um, we're very excited that this year, for the first time in two years, we'll be able to come together um, at an event. We're having a fundraiser a gala called The Rescue down at um, Quinnessa Country Club in June. Um, again, we're really excited about this is we're all, you know, be able to be together again, um, and celebrate all the wonderful things that Providence Animal Rescue League stands for and everything they do, we do here for the animals. Um, so there'll be more information on our websites if anyone is interested in volunteering or attending the event. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. And we'll put links in our show notes as well, um, to pass that along to our listeners. And I guess the the flip side, let me ask, because um, you had talked about your work, not just with rescue animals, but with um, pet parents and um, providing a, a good home for their kids. Um, what what are some general tips that you might give out to anybody? You know, you're welcoming a pet into your life. What are some things to expect or what are some things you can do to make that a, a little more of a, um, a smooth transition, both for the humans and for the pets? That's a really great question. Um, you know, we, we talk a lot about consistency. We talk a lot about going really slow, um, trying to, if you have other pets in the home, don't rush that introduction, take your time. Um, 
on the medical side of things, just as you would with a newborn child, you know, establish a relationship with a vet, um, go for a, a routine checkup. Uh, we do have like low cost clinics, vaccine clinics and things where you can get some of that routine care for a reduced price um, and a reduced fee. But you can't ever replace sort of that initial wellness exam with a local vet. And we have really great vets in the area. And during the pandemic, there was a lot of delays and, and a lot of supplies. We even went through that here. We were diverting a lot of our supplies to the human hospitals. And so there was a real sort of bottleneck that happened. But now that things are a little bit more back on track um, and the vet's offices are open and taking appointments again, we just encourage everybody to get, get back to that routine care. Um, and things like getting a microchip, all of the animals that you'd adopt from us are microchipped already. But if you're getting an animal in a different way, you know, microchip can go a long way to reuniting you with your pet if they get lost. Um, and pet insurance, you know, that's that's a really big piece of, of the puzzle, too. Um, nearly every single animal that we took in in 2021 needed something more than just routine vaccines. Um, we saw a lot of animals that had, um, you know, diabetes that went unchecked. We uh, were contacted by a lot of people who, whose pet ate something and needed emergency surgery or was, you know, tragically hit by a car or something. We definitely get these calls often. And if I think if pet pet insurance was a little bit more mainstream, then I think we would end up with a situation where people were more prepared to be able to handle those emergency costs and not have to be in a situation where they may be faced with, with giving up their animal versus, you know, $6,000 vet bill. Right. So that was a lot of information all at once, but um, those are some really big takeaways that we've seen just from here um, over the past couple of years of, of trends and how it would be really great if we could start to spread the word about some of those things that would help. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you. And I mean, it was just, just talking about your pet eating something. It was our three cats managed to get to the wishbone um, on Thanksgiving. And so that had me call in the emergency vet at like six o'clock on Thanksgiving day and saying like, I'm pretty sure my cats ate an entire wishbone <laughs> Will they be all right? <laughs> and then, you know, checking, checking with the, the vet on call and then saying, you know, they should be fine. Just keep an eye on them. But, you know, cats eat bones in the wild. And so they're kind of built to do such a thing. And, you know, that was that was a load off. <laughs> like, well, the, the cats won the wishbone last year. So <laughs> you got to love how they choose. Right. They, it's like the, the very least inopportune moment. You know, there's a lot of other things going on, like Thanksgiving. Right. right. You know, um, but it's true. It happens. And they're curious creatures. And I'm glad your cats were OK. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were fine. They like the treat. They want more wishbones. <laughs> I finally got pet insurance for my little guy that's going to be a year old next month. Boy, I'll tell you through the years, and you know, unfortunately, over the last uh, two to three years, I've, I've lost several other members of my furry family, and I this is the first time I've ever had pet insurance. And you know, I, I think that I probably could have bought a couple new cars for the money that I spent um, with the vets. I mean, Buddy was just one example. Um, mm -hmm. He had diabetes for the, his last three years, and. Uh, that was challenging. Yeah, it's a lot. We had um, one of one of our cats also had diabetes um, late in life, and it's it's a lot, and it's a lot to kind of like get to the vet visits. It's a lot to kind of do the care, and you know, unlike I think you know, human, 
you know, the way that you can't communicate. Like I can't try and tell Maggie, I've got to give you this shot. I know it hurts, but you need this medicine because it's going to help you, you know, feel better. Yeah. It's, it's heartbreaking. I, you know, I think mm-hmm. there's a perception that people think that a majority of the animals that are being surrendered to us are sort of callously like discarded by their families and there are certainly situations or times that that's the case, but a majority of the animals are really heartbroken people and, yeah. and animals, you know, and they're, they're losing their housing or someone in the family's passed away. I mean, there are just things that are unavoidable. And even with our support programs in place, that decision has to be made. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're here for them. But yeah, there's... Um, there's so much we wish you could explain to the animals and definitely the support our staff and our volunteers do such a great job of providing such loving care for them and our fosters. Yeah. I was going to really say our, mention fosters. our fosters. Yeah. 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 Dave, did you say earlier that you, you, you're sort of that a foster fail. That's what we call the fosters who yes, well, end up adopting. I guess we're, we're a one third foster fail. We had plans to adopt two of the litter when they were born. Um, but um, and so, you know, we just decided, okay, well, we'll have three cats. So a little extra. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, we, ena- we're, we're enablers. We would support that as well. <laughs> um, and the one who was, the one who was adopted out from that litter um, was a, was an orange guy too. Um, you know, beautiful little stripy orange guy and went to a family that was like, we've been looking for the perfect orange stripy guy you know, oh, just, okay. and just waiting to see the right cat. And this was the cat. And so you know, that just made us so happy that we helped, you know, increase that family with the pet that they were looking for. Um, we've also fostered 15 dogs um, through an organization in Alabama, and they um, they truck the animals up here for adoption. And that's been the same thing. Like you find the person who's been looking for this dog and, you know, making those families. And it's it's hard to give them up every time. Not super hard because I'm not much of a dog person, more of a cat person, but it's, you know, Every time it's kind of like watching them go and watching the, you know, the faces light up, especially when kids are in the adoption. Um, we've had a couple families roll up to our house that didn't even know the kids were being surprised and they would come to our house and we'd come out with this dog and the parents would be like, yeah, that's our dog. And these kids would just like you know, just melt down and in the most, most wonderful way. And, um, you know, to have been a part of that and for our kids to have, you know, felt like they've been a part of that you know, it's been really meaningful. So I can, I can definitely commend fostering whenever possible. It's a great way to, you know, help out and to help connect families with family members, basically. Yeah, that's fantastic. You know, it really is, we're shelter here, so we don't have a home, home-like environment. And so to be able to place animals who are going to be with us for a little bit longer than usual, for whatever reason, um, into a home and they can get that experience that you were able to give like those dogs and, and cats, it really is so so important for the mental and physical well-being of the animal and and then making sure that it's a lasting connection like you said yeah it's so great thanks for fostering for um to help animals that's that's fantastic and yeah there's more information on our website about uh applying to be a foster with our organization as well awesome and as your children grow dave i will tell you i have two college-age daughters and you know we're in the age of FaceTime is how we keep in touch with them because they don't go to college in the state um, the first thing they want to see is our cat. Right? So <laughs> yeah. You'll notice as your children get older, when they're not home, they'll they'll want to see the cat before right. you sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I can definitely see that happening. You know, I just gotta find them and get them in front of the screen so they can see them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. They will. They will 100% be asking for that. 
So before we uh, move on to our last segment, is there anything else um, that any of you um, had wanted to say that I didn't ask? Thank you for inviting us to this. It's so great to talk a little bit about the shelter and um, to share a little bit about what we're, you know, listening and watching as well is is fun. Um, We're such a great team here at Parl. And, um, you know, I just want to say thank you again to Diana for supporting our work uh, and such a beautiful book. Well, thank you. So I hope that listeners will will go buy my book um, online, of course, but um, they also have my book at Books on the Square um, and the Barrington books in Barrington so far, other than that, um, online. Awesome. And we'll have links in the show notes uh, to Diana's book as well. So definitely check that out, um, get a good book and support local animals at the same time. All right. And so... uh, We wrap up the show with a segment called The Last Chapter, where we talk about a library or bookish-related question. Um, This week, since we have an all-pet lovers panel here, I wanted to ask what fictional animal you would like to adopt and why. And this could be either like a a mythical animal, like a, you know, imaginary animal, or a specific, like, animal character from a book you've read, perhaps, that you'd be like, that would be a great animal to have as a pet in our family. Hmm. I know my answer right away. Um, Snoopy, hands down. I've been a Snoopy fan for years. Um, Charles uh, Schultz is just so wonderful. So Snoopy. Yeah, I think I'm going to agree with Rebecca because I was so sad when Charles Schultz died. Um, and, and in fact, I have a book somewhere. I forget what it's called, but Snoopy's on the cover. And it's like, you know, something about, you know, seeing life the way you know, kind of through Snoopy's eyes, like, you know, he's doing that little dance that he used to do. And um, yeah, he was a great example. Well, being a cat lover, I'd have to say Garfield's. Right. <laughs> I loved him. <laughs> the little orange tabby. We just had a cat here who was so much like Garfield. He I don't was, know that was Ted. Ted. Ted, yeah, Ted. Oh, this big giant he orange cat. He was enormous and so loving and adorable. And oh, you were telling me about was- him. Yes, and that was his nickname, was was Garfield. <laughs> he has did, been adopted, though, but... Yes, he has. How did Ted feel about Mondays? Uh, right? Like all of us. He was asking yeah. us for lasagna snacks all right. the time, you know. <laughs> he kept finding other shelter cats in, you know, in a box, marked Abu Dhabi. Yeah, I actually had a cat named uh, Nermal. Uh, oh, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, you know, there was a really good book. Now that I'm just thinking about it, it was um, a cat named Bob. Yeah. Did either has any of you read that? And he was a street. He was like a street busker in England, I believe. And Bob was a stray that he took in, and he used to sometimes sit on his shoulder, and he'd be out on the streets playing guitar, and, and that's how he made money. But it was a street mm. street cat named Bob. I think that was the name of that book. That was really really a great great story too yeah there's so many good characters i'm thinking there are i know like uh like the movie that i i own but i can't ever watch is the fox and the hound um i don't know if that was a book before a movie but goodness that movie gets you and uh i wish i could bring copper and todd home and they could be friends forever they wouldn't have to separate at the end yeah (laughs) oh that's fantastic thank you so much i had i had gone with um so uh, Terry Pratchett has a book called The Amazing Maurice and His Educated Rodents. And uh, it's a sort of a like a fractured Pied Piper retelling. And The Amazing Maurice is a cat. Um, 
And so the educated rodents can all understand and speak human language because they were eating magical trash out back of the uh, unseen university. And Maurice can understand and speak human uh, speech because he ate a rat who had eaten the trash. And so, you know, they kind of band together and go through towns and, and basically scam them. Um, but if, you know, like a lot of the Discworld novels, it ends up being about more than more than what it seems at first glance. But uh, Maurice is very streetwise and, you know, a shrewd thinker, but has a has a heart of gold at the end um, that I would I would go with Maurice. That sounds like an interesting read. Yeah, sure. yeah I, can, I can hardly recommend um, any any Discworld novel. Uh, probably talked about it on the podcast too many times, but. Um, they're all so different, and they all get at more than just the sort of fantasy satire that that they are on the surface. Um, so that's a really good one, especially if you like animals and want to read about a a cunning cat that's basically trying to starts out trying to fleece a town for all their money. <laughs> Sounds good. I'm intrigued. All right. All right. Well, um, thank you all so much for joining me. And I appreciate hearing about Diana, about your book and about Parl, uh, Sharon and Rebecca. So thank you so very much. And uh, thank you everyone for listening. If you'd like to tell us what fictional animal you would love to welcome into your family, send us an email at downtime at cranstonlibrary.org or reach out to us via social media with the hashtag downtimecpl. If you're feeling generous, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts because it helps people find the show. Thank you again for listening, and this has been another episode of Downtime. Downtime is a project of the Cranston Public Library and is produced by Zach Berger, Nomi Hay, Robin Nizio, and me, Taylor Cardillo. Audio engineering by Dave Bartos. Our theme music is Day Trips by Ketza, and our ad music is Happy Ukulele by Scott Holmes. Links to the books and movies discussed can be found in the show notes. Remember to rate and review Downtime on Apple Podcasts, connect with the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with the hashtag DowntimeCPL, and if there's something you'd like to hear on the show, send an email to downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. Join us next week for more Downtime. Um, let's see, how's Taylor usually do this? <laughs>